0: What's going on, guys? It's time for another edition of On the Fly. I'm your host Stevie Fly. Uh, today we will continue my top 25 music acts of all time. Of course, we le- last time we left you at uh, number 20, which was new addition. Uh, to recap, number 25, Chicago. Number 24 was Slaughter. 23 was Whitney Houston. 22 was Elvis. Number 21 was Prince. And number 20 was new edition. We'll get going on that. We're also going to talk a little bit about the comeback. Yes, the comeback of vinyl records. Can you believe it? I, I was in Walmart um, a couple weeks ago and looked, just walking around and looked at, in the music section, which, you know, over the years, the music section in Walmart's really gone down because, you know, tapes, and, well, tapes are. Gone. I don't see any tapes in there. CDs have really gone down because of streaming. Kids can stream right on their uh, on their phone. I mean, you can get everything you want right on your phone. But now, when I look, walk through, and there's still some CDs, and every now look, and there's a whole section of vinyl records. Um, and it's great. I think it's great. I've, I've got a little vinyl collection of my own that I've kept for, for a few years. A lot of Kiss records, some some other stuff. I've got the Grease soundtrack, believe it or not. Um, and uh, a few other things. But vinyl records making a comeback. What does this mean? Because, you know, around here, you don't have any any record stores anymore i think the the last record store we had around here which was in Runner rapids north carolina was camelot music a lot of you local people will remember that that was that was the place to go uh you when you had a cd or or a cassette that came out i made many a trip to camelot music in run rapids boy i missed that place Uh, it was just something about being able to go in and on the day, because back then, like you said, we've talked about this a little bit before, and I've I've done interviews with people before that talked about it. But I was I was a hair band guy. I mean, Kiss, Kiss is my absolute. Well, yeah, I'll give that away right there. But Kiss, uh, Motley Crue, guys like that from the from the mid to late '80s. You ha- and you had magazines that came out. Circus and Hip Parader. I-, I got Circus and Hip Parader almost every month. And I knew when something was coming out. I knew exactly when a CD was coming out or a cassette, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I'd head to Running Rapids Camelot Music and go pick it up. And on the way back, I w- I'd listen to it. Uh, usually listened from... Start the inside one side two or the whole CD, you know. Um, and then when I got home, I'd always take out whether it was a CD or cassette. I'd always take out the liner notes. And it was great to be able to to read up on stuff. Who was like if they had guest vocalists, they had a guest background singer, who they thanked, all that stuff. It was great to see stuff like it, it was great to have it in my hand, just like the magazine circus. And uh, Hip Parader were great, great ways to find out information. Great ways to keep up with what, what's going on. And nothing against nothing against the uh, social media, but I just like to have it in my hand. I love being able to look up whatever I want to online. I love being able to find all this information that, that I give to you guys. And, and it's great to be able to research. I w- if I'd had this back when I was a kid... Oh, man, you think I'm a master of useless information now. I would really be, my head would be swelled up like Megamind. Um, But, yeah, it's great to see vinyl come back. I don't know if we'll ever see cassettes come back, but, you know, across the industry, vinyl sales are set to surpass CD sales this year for the first time since 1986. Sales saw a 12.9% increase between the first half of 2018 and the same 2019 period, about 2 to about $224 according to the Recording Industry Association of America. Brian Abbott, who is the owner of Speakeasy Records and Oddities in Decatur, said records are definitely his top seller, surpassing CD and cassette sales by a landslide. I think our generation still wants to own a physical copy of music, and Apple Music and Spotify just can't provide that, Reynolds said. Queens, Bohemian Rhapsody, and Greatest Hits... Fleetwood Max Rumors and David Boyd's Legacy are among the top ten selling vinyl albums during the first half of 2019. Among the top 40 vinyl albums sold during 2019 include a good mix of modern and oldies. With the Beatles' self-titled record from 1968 all the way to present day with Billie Eilish, When We Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go? from 2019. So, these guys still have, you know, the, you know, the vinyl record stores, and I'm sure there's a lot out west. Probably some, in, uh, you know, in the big cities. But not won't see them around here you know they're loving this resurgence of, of of vinyl selling again people want vinyl people like to hear it and you look at you look at the they sell the vinyl record players again it's like USB record players. I was looking at one of those the other day they're not they're not high priced at all uh, you know so if you like vinyl if you want to get back into the vinyl now is the time to do it Uh even I think you know if you eat at Cracker Barrel you go out in there. Uh, go out in their shopping center that they've got out there, their little store out there they've got vinyl records out there and I think it's you know, you, I see more and more all the time new artists are releasing stuff on vinyl and I think it's great I really do uh, hopefully it will continue uh, nothing against streaming nothing at all against that because I do stream stuff on, on my phone I do have Apple on my phone I like to be able to look at you know, be able to pull up new artists that I, that I probably wouldn't buy, but it, you know, vinyl making a comeback. What I want to know, what the big question is, does this mean the Columbia, Columbia Record and Tape Club will make a comeback? Is that how many of you out there win that? I was in that. Uh, I remember my parents when I was little. I think one of the first albums I remember seeing was Frampton Comes Alive, and I think they got that from the Columbia. Columbia Record Club, which it was, it was pretty awesome to me. As much as I love music, I love seeing new music come in, and uh, they were they were definitely in that into that. All right, so main purpose of today, we go from number nineteen. Should we go to fourteen, or we go to fifteen? Hold on, one two. We'll go to fifteen today. We'll go to fifteen today, and we'll save that for. Number nineteen on my, and this is my list. Nothing against anybody. Everybody's got their own. Everybody's got their own uh, list. Everybody's got their own favorites. Uh, it's what makes the world a great place. So if you have a problem with my list, and I think some of you probably will, uh, just let me know. Comment on it to, and let me know what you what you think, and uh, if somebody would have been higher, or somebody should have been lower on my list. Uh, this is just my opinion. This is just my opinion. So number 19 for me this band started in 1976 i remember we had a few speaking of cassettes i think this is the first time i heard them was on a cassette like a lot of bands from back then they've had a lot of lineup changes uh but this band is foreigner uh formed by veteran english musician mick jones he also was Ian McDonald and Lou Graham. Who can remember? I mean, Lou Graham. That's one of the most distinctive voices that you have. You'll hear uh, when you hear the old old versions of "Foreigner," which on and the new versions. Nothing about that. Nothing uh, bad about the new version. But Lou Graham's voice was so distinctive. You just knew, and you pretty much knew by the sound. That this was a foreigner. The band's debut foreigner was released in March 7, 1977. Sold more than 4 million copies in the United States. Staying in the top 24 a year with hits such as Feels Like the First Time, Cold as Ice, and Long, Long Way from Home. Uh, by May 1977, foreigner was already headlining theaters and already scored a gold record for the first album. Not long afterwards, they were selling out U.S. basketball arenas and hockey rinks after a show. At Memorial Hall in Kansas City, Kansas, on May 6, seventy seven, drummer Elliott injured his hand, prompted the band to call in Ian Wallace, who was he was an ex King Crimson player to play alongside Elliot on some of those dates until the hand was healed. Their second al- album, Double Vision, released in nineteen seventy eight, topped their previous, selling five million records and spawned hits in Cold Hot Blooded, excuse me, cold blood. Hot blooded, the title track Double Vision and Blue Morning, Blue Day. That is a you know the more I, I listen to that song Blue Morning Blue Day, that is a great song. It grows on me. It's grown on me over the years. Album number three is Head Games, which was referred to by Graham as a grainiest album, which who was also successful because of the Thunder's Dirty White Boy and another title track Head Games. And and you look at listen to these the these songs, man. I mean, it's it's just great. Then they came out with. Uh, jukebox hero four and a four if you got the four and a four album i think that was like a uh it's almost a greatest hits album which you look at urgent waiting for a girl like you jukebox hero break it up it it might as well be a greatest hits album then the next album agent provocateur was released in december 1984 the first and only number one hit huge hit huge hit called i want to know what love is it's a ballad backed by jennifer Holiday in the new jersey mass choir this that song was their biggest u.s hit that was yesterday was their next uh, single and was another great hit there and and then you you look at kind of uh, kind of got off track kind of got off track with what they Mick jones started producing albums produced Van Halen's 5150, Bad Company's Fame and Fortune, and Billy Joel's Stormfront. They released another album in December 1987 called in- Inside Information, which had such hits as Say You Will and I Don't Want to Live Without You. Um, it, was, it was just uh, when Lou Graham departed, late 80s. Both Mick Jones and Lou Graham each put out solo efforts. Uh, Graham released "Ready or Not" in January '87, and shortly after its rehearsal release, rehearsals for Foreigner's next album had started. Gram but ground to a halt as Graham's status with the group was uncertain. He ends up leaving, and they bring in another, brought in a new lead singer called Johnny Edwards, formerly of the bands Buster Brown, Montrose, King Cobra, Northrop, and Wild Ho- Horses. It wasn't the same, and and then. Graham comes back, he ended up rejoining Foreigner, and co-produced the band's second greatest albums, The Very Best and Beyond, which included three new songs. In October 1994, Foreigner released what was supposed to be a comeback album, Mr. Moonlight in Japan, but the album was not released in the U.S. until February 1995 and fared even worse than the previous album. In 1997, Lou Graham underwent surgery to remove a brain tumor. The medications he was prescribed caused considerable weight gain and weakened his singing voice. By 1998, the band was back on the road, but Graham was physically struggling. It would take him several years to get back to the point where he felt comfortable on stage. Uh, Graham ended up leaving Split because they weren't communicating. Him and Jones weren't communicating. I think we tried really hard to save it, but it got to the point when we both realized to go on would be detrimental for both of us, so... They bring in former Hurricane singer Kelly Hansen. And if you haven't heard Kelly Hansen sing, this guy is a awesome, awesome singer. I mean, he is, he is great. Foreigner doesn't miss a beat. They still tour to this day. They still tour. Uh, they, they're still going out on tour. October 2019, the group was once again joined by the surviving original players for a handful of shows at the Double Vision Then and Now tour. But if you have to look at... Have to look at what they accomplished with their music. Uh yeah, jukebox Hero. Hot blooded. I Wanna Know What Love Is. Great songs. And and they are number 19 on my list. Foreigner will always I mean always been a great band. Number 18. We go to the R and B. You know, we have Prince up here. was it. Prince was more rock than R and B to me. But we go R and B. One of my favorites, and I I mean, they're low on this, they're number 18 on the list, but you know, they were, at the time, they could do no wrong in their their prime, talking about boys to men. Uh, American R&B and hip-hop vocal vocal group from Philadelphia, best known for their emotional ballads and a cappella harmonies. They were founded in the 90s, uh, Nathan Morris, Wanya Morris, Sean Stockman. And they were quartet then with Michael McCary, who left the group in two thousand three due to health issues. During the nineties, Boys and Men gained international success. began with the release of top five singles Motai and Philly" and "It's So Hard to Say Goodbye to Yesterday," in nineteen ninety one, followed by the number one single "End of the Road," in nineteen ninety two, which reached the top of the charts worldwide. And "End of the Road" set a new record for longevity, staying at number one on the Billboard Hot one hundred for thirteen weeks. Breaking the decades-old record held by Elvis Presley. Boys may have proceeded to break this record with a subsequent release of I'll Make Love to You and One Sweet Day, a duet, which was a duet with Mariah Carey, which at 14 and 16 weeks respectively, each set new records for the total number of weeks at number one. I'll Make Love to You also topped the charts in Australia for four weeks and garnered international success. Consequently, Boys and Men is among the music industry's elite with regard to time spent at number one in Billboard history, with fifty cumulative weeks ranking fourth behind Elvis Presley, the Beatles, and Mariah Carey. Furthermore, when "On and Knee" took the number one spot away from "I'll Make Love to You," Boys and Men became the only, only the third artist ever, after the Beatles and Elvis Presley, to replace themselves at the top of the Billboard Hot One Hundred. These achievements were enough to earn Boys and Men recognition at Billboard magazine's biggest boy band during the period of 1987 to 2012. Boys and Men continued to perform worldwide as a trio. Their most recent studio album, Under the Streetlight, was released in 2017. Now, these guys, I mean, they were founded by a former New Edition member, Michael Bivins who along with fellow groupmates Ricky Bell and Ronnie DeVoe had just announced they were forming a new edition spinoff trio, Bell-Biv DeVoe. So, boys and men snuck backstage at a concert to, to see Bivens. They sang new edition's version Can You Stand the Rain for Him. Bivens and everyone in attendance, including other celebrities, were impressed. He then gave the group his number and told them to give him a call. They eventually called him and he agreed to manage and help produce the group. came out with cooley high harmony in 1991 which had you know motown philly it had it's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday and i think you know motown philly was was good but i think when it really hit was when they had it's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday i think that's when they really really caught fire there and then of course End of the Road. What can you say about End of the Road? One of the best ballads of all time can't A lot of people don't know it's from the soundtrack, the Eddie Murphy's film Boomerang. The successful of End, of End of the Road instantly transformed boy men from up and coming R and B stars into mainstream music celebrities. A revamped, Coolie high harmony was reissued during 1993 with End of the Road added as a special bonus track. So then they, you know, how do you follow up to that? Well, they came out with an a, their album in 1994 called Two, uh, and it it was great. I mean, you had great songs on Bended Knee, uh, Babyface's I'll Make Love to You, Water Runs Dry, Jimmy Jam and Terry, Terry Lewis were helping, uh, I, and it was just a great album. They could do no wrong at the time, but then... They came out with a, a album in '97. They took some year, a couple years off, and Evolution was released, which it still had some great songs, great songs on that. And one of the most underrated songs on there is doing just fine. They did. They put out Four Scenes of the Loneliness, a song for Mama, for the film Soul Food, but it just wasn't the same. They were nominated for two Grammys in 1998, Best R&B Album for Evolution, Best R&B Vocal Performance by Duo or Group for a Song for Mama. But there was a dispute between the record company because Motown issued the remix collection, a, com- a compilation of remixes of various boys' and Men songs from Cooley Harmony and 2. The group itself had opposed the release of the collection because they felt the collection, collection did not... Represent Boys' Men's best work. After the label released the album without their permission, there was a dispute between the company and the group. Boys' Men initiated their own recording company, Stone Creek, which released material by artists such as Uncle Sam, and they arranged for Stone Creek's distribution by Epic Records, not Motown. So then, you saw a kind of uh, a kind of they they took a step back. They came out in 1999. Uh, their their music company was bought out by Universal Music Group. Uh, Motown was merged with UMG's record company, where boys and men found themselves reassigned. Their only studio LP album for Universal's 2000 was Nathan, Michael, Sean, Wanya, chiefly written and produced by the group. In an attempt to update their sound award, all critics who questioned the group's reliance on Babyface's hit making soundtrack. Cr- While the critics were more receptive to this album, then they had been to their predecessor. The LP sold only 500,000 copies in the U.S., 1 million copies worldwide. Although its two singles, "Pass You By" and "Thank You in Advance," received media attention, neither became hits. Boys and Men departed from Universal in 2001, ended their relationship with the company that brought them international stardom in, in 1991. Excuse me. The label released a very successful Greatest Hits" compilation, "Legacy: The Greatest Hits" compilation, to close out their contract. So they put out several albums out there. Of course, you know, they, they had a departure from the group, and they're still going today. Uh, 2019 was before the group played themselves on the ABC comedy series Schooled. So December 15, 2018, the group staged a concert at a Smart Araneta Coliseum with Filipino girl group Divas, group consa- compri- composed of Kyla Ying, Constantino, KZ Gang and Angeline Quinto, titled Boys and Men with Divas. Boys and Men is among the biggest names in acapella and R&B. With what was crossover appeal, Boys and Men found themselves at the vanguard of the 1990s movement to take R&B back into the mainstream, where it had been back in the 70s. Their use of hip hop beats in combination with R&B was not unique, but it was Boyz II Men's enormous success and mainstream audience and putting harmony over the hip hop tracks helped usher the near total dominance of the r genre on the on the pop charts in the 2000-2010. On January fifth, two 2012, Boyz II Men were awarded a star on the Hollywood Hollywood Walk of Fame. So these guys, like I said, could do no wrong at that time. And uh, you know, I don't. I really don't understand. And, and I know times change, and 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 people, people's preferences of music change. But these guys can still sing. I mean, they still sing great. Uh, I'd love to see them make a big, big comeback back on the charts. Now, before I get to the number seventeen, got to tell you this. I was off. my regular job this this past weekend and not many times i do i get a saturday off but saturday morning got up i'm getting old too i'll tell you this i'm getting old on my day off i was up at six o'clock so i got up got myself together got something to drink i don't drink coffee don't drink coffee like my wife who is famous for for loving coffee but I, i just can't do coffee uh so i got something to drink i sat in front of the computer uh Went online. I got to thinking. You know, 97.9 Magic, 97.9. I'd run at Rapids every Saturday morning. They play a classic episode of American Top 40 with Casey Kasem. Now, how many of you out there sat there when you were a kid like me? And I know kids, if you're listening to this, if you're if you're a teenager or in your 20s, you won't know what I'm talking about, but. Had your jam box with your cassette blank cassette tape in and waiting on that Top 40 for your favorite song that you didn't already have on your little mixtape to come on. So you could hit the pause button off, take pause off, and record your favorite song on American Top 40. Casey Kasem was a legend. Rest in peace, Casey Kasem. A lot of people don't realize he did a lot of cartoon voices. I was telling my daughter he, he actually did uh, Shaggy. On uh, Scooby-Doo, and he did some other stuff too, but Casey Kasem was a legend. Uh, but these guys I heard a lot on American Top 40, They were, and they were up there a lot in that day. I'm talking about number 17, Hall and Oates, Daryl Hall and John Oates. Uh, what a great duo they were. I can sit. You think about all the great songs they had. Uh, Rich Girl, Kiss on My List, Private Eyes, I Can't Go for That, Man Eater, Out of Touch, and many other songs that the top 40. You Make My Dream, She's Gone, Sarah Smile. In total, they had 34 chart hits on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100, seven RIAA platinum al- albums, and six RIAA gold albums. Billboard magazine named them the most successful duo, duo of the rock era, surpassing Simon and Garfunkel and the Everly Brothers. They have achieved moderate success in the United Kingdom with two UK top 10 albums, spending a total of 117 weeks in the UK top 75. In 2003, Hollow Notes were inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Billboard magazine had Hollow Notes number 15 on their list of the 100 Greatest Artists of All all Time and the number one duo, while VH1 placed the duo as number 99 on their list of 100 Greatest Artists of All Time. They were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in April 2014 on september 2nd 2016 they received a star on the hollywood hollywood walk of fame now when i discovered him you know sarah smile came out early in their career that was in the 70s i didn't know about hollow notes then i when i when they came out with private eyes uh that was when i discovered who hollow notes were and you hear them on american top 40 uh Private Eyes was one of my favorite songs. I actually had the, the little 45 record of that, the single record uh, of that. Uh, title track from that album, Private Eyes, I Can't Go For That, were nearly consecutive number one hits, separated only by the 10-week stay at number one, by the monster hit by Livy Newton-John, well, Physical. I Can't Go For That was one of the few songs ever recorded by a White Act to reach number one on both the reB and the pop charts. Did It In A Minute was another underrated song by uh, Holland Oats that this album privatized is now considered among the duo's best album mixing soul new wave and power pop then they came out with h2o which had man-eater and then one-on-one and family man you know and according to oats they recorded approximately 20 songs for this album of which nine didn't make the final cut he went on to say they usually have five or six Five or six songs left over per album. Then they came out with Rock and Soul, Part One. Now by the by, the, this time they were one of the biggest pop music acts in the United States. They had five number one singles to their credit, two consecutive top ten albums, and one of the biggest names on MTV. Back when MTV played videos, and we'll do we'll discuss that in another episode. I've got a lot to say about that. Uh, they released their first greatest hits album, which was Rock and Soul Part 1. The album peaked at number 7 when, and two new songs were written and recorded for that LP. Also, became top 10 hits as well. Say It Isn't So, that album, that song battled six weeks with the number one spot with Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson's Say 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 at the peak of Thriller Mania. Say It Isn't So re- remained at number 2 for an impressive four weeks from December 1983 to January 84. Their follow-up single, Adult Education, received heavy airplay at both pop and black radio and reached number eight on Billboard Hot 100 in April 84. It was accompanied by a dark New York City-oriented music video set in a cave. Oates later told VH1 that the clip resembled the Survivor TV show on acid. Then it came out with Big Bamboo. Uh, it, It was okay. Method of Modern Love, Out of Touch, some Things Are letter, Better Left Unsaid, Possession of Session, were, were the great songs off that album. Then they did something kind of different. Uh, 1985, they came out with a album called Live at the Apollo. It was with David Ruffin and Ed, Eddie Kendricks, the voices of the two t- temptations, and two of their heroes. This was a second attempt at a live Hall Notes album following the 1986 released Live Time. Live at the Apollo was released primarily to fulfill the duo's contract with RCA and contained a top 20 hit with a medley of The Way You Do the Things You Do and My Girl. Both hits Ruffin and Kendrick had recorded with The Temptations in 1964. Hollow Notes collaborated on the famous USA for Africa We Are the World project with the former as one of the soloists and later as a chorus member and performed at the Live Aid concert in Philadelphia with Ruffin and Kendrick. The Hollow Oates band also backed up Mick Jagger's performance at the show. And Hollow Oates, Ruffin and Kendrick performed again at the MTV Music Video Awards in New York later that year, complete with Apollo Theater style marquee descending on the stage during their performance. Holland Oates signed with the Rista Records, a third record company in 1987, shortly before the string of top ten hits in- ended. And Tommy Mottola's effort to keep them under contract when their RCA, their RCA obligation ran out, their first album for the label, Ooh Yeah, included the hits Everything Your Heart Desires, Missed Opportunity, and Downtime Life. Yeah, it wasn't that great of an album to me. Um, they recorded one more album for Arista called Change of Season, which had a great song that was co-produced by John Bon Jovi. And if you haven't heard this song, it's called "So Close." Great song. It reached number eleven was Holland's last major hit. Another song from the album "Don't Hold Back Your Love" was another great song. This was actually a better album than "Oh Yeah" to me. Uh, but they they kind of split and went on solo project and hiatus. They, did, you know, of course they did the uh, they did the VH1 Behind the Music Greatest Hits package after they did their. Uh, VH1 show behind the music show and where is behind the music gone to? I thought that that's a that's a that's a topic for another show too. Behind the music was great and you don't see that anymore. And that really ticks me off. So Hollow Notes number seventeen for me. All right, I'll probably take a beating on this one from some people about where I've got them ranked on the list. Of, Number 16, (laughs) Guns N' Roses. Yeah, I I can remember the first time I heard these guys, and I'm going way, way back. Appetite for Destruction, the the Appetite for Destruction cassette. I was a ninth grader on a trip. We were actually going to a baseball game. We we had a, a bus trip. That we took to a baseball game, and you know, we always listened to music. But one of the seniors, Harris Hollingsworth, who was a big time like me, was a big time hair band fan, a metal fan. He started playing these guys, and I was like, "What the heck is that?" I mean, it was different. It was different than what you heard from most of the guys back then. The the Poisons, the Def leopards uh and uh, Motley Crue. It sounded different, but. Appetite for Destruction was, I mean, for a debut album, probably one of the best debut albums ever. Goes to number one in 1987, reached number one on the Billboard 200 a year after its release on the strength of top 10 singles like Welcome to the Jungle, Paradise City, and Sweet Child of Mine. The band's only single to reach number one on the Billboard Hot 100, which was Sweet Child of Mine. The album has sold approximately 30 million copies worldwide, including 18 million units in the United States, making it the country's best-selling debut album and 11th best-selling album ever. Their next studio album, G&R Lies, reached number two on the Billboard 200, sold 10 million copies worldwide, including 5 million in the U.S., and included the top five hit, Patients. Now, really, when they hit their, their prime, their stride, Usual Illusion 1 and Usual Illusion 2 recorded simultaneously and released in 1981, debuted at number 2 and number 1 on the Billboard 200 respectively, and have sold a combined 35 million copies worldwide, including 14 million units in the United States. The Illusion albums include the lead single, You Could Be Mine, which was also featured in the soundtrack to Terminator 2, covers of Live and Let Die, Knocking on Heaven's Door, a trilogy of ballads, Don't Cry, November Rain, and the Strange, which featured notably high-budget music videos. The Illusion Records was also supported by extensive User Illusion tour, a world tour that lasted from 1991 to 1993. In 1993, they released the Spaghetti Incident, an album of covers that was the band's last studio album to feature Slash and McKay, Duff McKagan before their initial departure. Work on their follow up albums due to create a differences between band members by nineteen ninety eight only Rose and and Dizzy Reed remained from the Illusionary lineup. After more than a decade of work and several lineup changes, Guns N' Rose's long way to sixth studio album, Chinese Democracy, was released in two thousand eight. At an estimated fourteen million dollar production cost, it was the most expensive rock album in history, it debuted at number three on the Billboard two hundred but undersold Industry expectations most mostly positive, critical reception. Slash and McKagan rejoined the band in 2016 for the Not in This Lifetime tour, which became the second highest grossing concert tour on record, grossing over 562 million by December 2018. Appetite for Destruction. I mean, like I said, the best selling best selling debut album of all time. Uh, it, you look at, and that's one of them that you really would like to have the cassette or the CD or, or the vinyl because just looking at the artwork in there was so, so great. The band's first single was It's So Easy. It didn't do as well. Welcome to the Jungle was the one that really set everything off. Welcome to the Jungle, just, it was also featured in the 1988 Dirty Harry film, The Deadpool. Uh, and got one of those lines that you just, you just hear, you know where you are. You're in the jungle, baby. You're gonna die. I mean, that was great. Sweet Child of Mine, though, was hugely successful. It was their second single, a love song co-written by Rose at the point for his then girlfriend, aaron Everly, who was daughter of Don Everly of the Everly Brothers. So the The video, yes, they used to make videos for this stuff, was heavy airplay on both radio and MTV, becoming a huge hit during the summer in 88, reaching top of the charts in the U.S. Slash later comment, I hated that song with a huge passion for the longest time. It turned out to be a huge hit, so it goes to show what I know. Uh, And if you listen to the start of it, the the opening riff, it sounds like like, uh, the circus, it sounds like a circus song, the way it starts off, and I think that's how how they described it at first. They were just playing that, uh, but you know, then after the usual illusion one and two, they were kind of destructive. They have replaced uh, their original drummer Stephen Adler with Matt uh, Axel's the ego got out of control. He he was he would walk off stage in the middle of. Uh, Concerts started riots. Of course, we all know about the the famous riot in uh, in was in Canada. I think it was in Toronto. It was somewhere in Canada, and then you know they just got out of control. Uh, of course, Slash, Duff McKagan, Matt Sorum leave, and ref- they form Velvet Revolver. Uh, Guns N' Roses is out there for a while, working on this this new album, uh, and. Chinese Democracy finally came out after years and years but you didn't recognize this band after that. Uh, and then to see them get back together again which you never thought, never thought it would happen. They get back together and go on tour and now there's actually talk of a new studio album. So Rose discussed slash joining rejoining in a 2016 interview saying it was always looked at as a possibility but never seen Fit right or felt right during the interview rose also reiterated his intention to release new guns and rose music in the future slash later commented on the tour telling aris Ms. joey kramer in an interview that we are we were all pretty positive the reunion would never happen so it's still sort of blowing our minds but everybody's getting along really great and i think everybody's come a long way and it's all cool Guitarist Richard Ford has discussed the band's plan to make new music in a July 17 interview stating that members have been recorded in, recording individual and collaborative ideas but have yet to head to the studio as a band. He later confirmed the band was working on a new album in a 2018 interview stating, I think it would happen faster than you think. In February 2019, both Slash and McKagan stated that a new album was in the works. So we haven't seen the last of Guns N' Roses, hopefully. I, I'm eager to... To hear new music from guns roses but they are number 16. all right number 15 and the last one for today on the list is a group another hair band a group that was i think it was my first my first concert yeah i think it was my first concert talking about poison uh of course you remember brett michaels uh bobby doll cc C. deville and ricky rocket started in 1983 and CC DeVille was not in band. Matt Smith was uh, the guitarist then, but he was soon replaced by CC DeVille. Uh, first album signed Poison is signed to independent label, label Enigma Records in '86 for approximately thirty thousand dollars. Their debut album, "Look What the Cat Dragged In," was released August second, nineteen eighty-six. Now, back then, back then, I, I was sitting there, and I, you know, I talked. I talked about looking at, you know, I always got Hip Parader and Circus Magazines when I can't remember which one it was, but one of them had an ad, had a full-page ad for Look What The Cat Dragged In. And you look at, to look at the album, never heard of these guys before. And I first thing I was thinking, oh, wow, it's a girl band. Uh, <laughs> this is what those guys look like. But, you know, of course, the boofy hair, uh, the makeup, they, they really took the glam thing to another level. Look what the cat drank. Originally included only one single, which was "Cry Tough." However, it became a surprise success and subsequently spawned three charting hits: "Talk Dirty to Me," and back then, when you had actual radio station DJs that were on 24/7, um, and they had they had countdown shows, they had like top. Top 9 at 9 was one of them. I think that was, uh, was that 93.3? I think. And you could call in and vote for this. Talk Dirty to Me was up there a lot. I Want Action. And of course, the power ballad, I Won't Forget You. record became the biggest southern album in Enigma's history. With heavy rotation on MTV, their debut earned the band tours with fellow glam rockers Rat, Cinderella, and Quiet Right, as well as a covetous lot in the Texas Jam in Dallas. The ultimate album ultimately sold four million copies worldwide. The band gave given an intimate and controversial interviews to rock journalist Judy Weeder at Hollywood home they all shared in June 86 before the official release of "Look With Cat Dragged In," and and then the second album, open up and say ah that was released May twenty first, nineteen eighty eight. This is the tour, the, the tour of this for this album is where I went to see them in concert and they were they were pretty awesome. Uh, Open up and say, oh, I peaked at number two on the American charts, and we're ultimately going to sell eight million copies worldwide. Of course, you had uh, hits like Nothing But A Good Time, Fallen Angel, and Your Mama Don't Dance, but everybody's favorite, one of the best power ballads of all time, Every Rose Has It Storn. That was a number one thing when it really, really catapulted them into big-time, big-time celebrity then. Um, and then... And then they uh, it started started going going downhill. Uh, that the relationships were different. Uh, they came out with another another uh, album, which was called Flesh and Blood. That was released June twenty first, nineteen ninety. It was also so highly successful, peaking at number two, sold more than seven million copies worldwide. The album's success prompted the, the need for a further world tour. Shedding their big-haired image as they moved into the nights, Poison took a more mature approach to their third album. In Screamer magazine, Michaels explained how flesh and blood signaled a change in the band. I think that the same way that we shocked the people in the beginning with the look, this one might shock them with the music a little bit. This one's the one that's going to show that there's a little bit of another side to the band. Poison received a letter from Secretary of Defense Dick Cheney thanking the band for contributing 20,000 CDs of the album Flesh and Blood to lift the morale of U.S. troops during Desert Storm and their continued support of the armed forces. So some of the some of the uh, singles from this album, the record went multi-platinum, spawning three gold singles: "Unskinny Bop," which you know I, it's okay, but I'm not a big big fan uh, of it. "Ride the Wind" was good. "The Ballad Something to Believe In," which was dedicated to band security guard and close friend Jan- James. Kimo Mano, who had died. Life Goes On was a fourth single, and the single last single released was the title cut, Flesh and Blood. Uh, the video of Flesh and Blood was banned from MTV due to explicit nature, but it surfaced later in early 1991 in their second video compilation, Flesh, Blood, and Videotape. After two mm-hmm. consecutive years on the road, band members would at each other's throat with personal differences and drug addictions. Poison recorded several, st- several performances during its world tour which were released in no- November 1991 as the band's fourth album Swallow This Live. The double album also features live tracks from Poison's first three studio albums and four new studio tracks including the singles So Tell Me Why which were the last recorded before CC DeVille's departure from the band later that yeah, year. So, backstage at the 1991 MTV M- Music Video Awards. Uh there was a fight, a fist fight between Brett Michaels and C.C. DeVille, and that was pretty much the end. After a live performance, that was kind of weird. C.C. DeVille comes out, you know, he always had that blonde, blonde, blonde hair. Comes out with pink hair, and in the middle, in the middle of the performance, he changes the song. He changes the song, and he was subsequently fired and replaced by Pennsylvania guitarist Richie Kotzen. Native Tongue was their fourth album. Uh, strongly influenced by Cotson's fresh songwriting contributions and guitar performance. It was a change for the band as they abandoned their anthemic party tunes that focused on more serious subjects and was more blues rock oriented than glam metal. The singles that came out were Stan, which featured the Los Angeles First AME Church Choir on backing vocals. One of my favorite Poison songs, Until You Suffer Some, uh, Fire and Ice. Uh the band toured to support of the album, but tensions mounted between Cotson and the rest of the band. Cotson's future in the band was doomed when it was discovered that he has become romantically involved with Rocket's then fiance, Diana Eve. He was promptly fired and replaced by Blue Saraceno in November 1993. After several years apart, Michaels and Deville were able to patch up the differences, and Michaels welcomed Deville back into poison in 1996 to replace Saraceno. And, and, you know, the original lineup has been back together. Of course, Brett Michaels goes to a solo. He does a solo tour. And then there is talk that Poison will be back together. Uh, and in 2018, Poison headlined the Nothing But A Good Time Tour. With special guests Cheat Trick and Pop Evil. The tour started May 18 and ended July 1st. So... There's, there's always a chance that they will get back together and do something well will they do new music I don't know if they will ever do any more new music I think they might just just tour uh, but who will you know I'd love to see all these older bands come out with new material now that's what's missing and it, people will say well they won't do it the way they used to anymore yeah, well you, you got to give them a chance got to give them a chance you know like slaughter uh, Guns N' Roses, looking forward to new stuff from them. Poison, Def Leppard, Striper, which they put out great stuff. Uh, but, you know, and with, whether Van, Van Halen will ever do anything again or Kiss. Uh, of course, Kiss is on the End of the Road Tour. Uh, I'm not sure if they will ever put out any more uh, new music. From what I'm hearing, probably not. All right, that's going to do it for this week. That's number 19 through number 15. Guys, give me your comments, whether they're good or bad. I know there's some of you out there. I know one in particular that's not going to be happy about the Guns N' Roses position on here. Uh, And now I'm talking about you, Buddy Brown. But, guys, give me your thoughts. Give me your comments, and and we'll work on it. Next week, we'll be back with number 14 through number 10. And, you know, we're going to have to do, I'm going to have to bring some people on the show uh we I want to get their opinions on MTV now MTV and VH1 which you know MTV owns both uh, but that that's a that's a sore subject for me I just don't like uh, a a station with the word music in it music television that's not playing music anymore VH1 video hits I guess that's what it stands for And they do play some old videos at times. But come on, get MTV back to where it used to be. Access Television does a great job playing music stuff. Uh, I just wish there was more of it on there. But they do a great job. My hat's off to Access TV for what they do. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this week. Check out my podcast, On the Fly. It's available on Anchor. Uh, Gosh, let's see where else it's available on. Available on Anchor. Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Cast, and Radio Public. Still trying to get on Apple. I don't know what the problem is with Apple. Come on, guys. Let me get on there. I want to I wanna be on Apple so everybody can find me on there. Oh, Spotify, where are you at? Pick me up. All right, guys. That's going to do it for this week. Next week on On the Fly, we'll do number 14 through number 10, and we'll talk some more music news. But listen to my podcast. Just did an interview with the master of the mashups. Talking about a great guy, great interview with him. Talking about DJ Cummerbund. If you haven't heard his stuff, look him up on Twitter. Look, he's on Instagram, all social media. But look him up on YouTube, and you can see the mashups he does. Does a great job. I'm, I'm, I'm just amazed at how he makes these songs mashed together sound so great. All right, that's enough for this week, guys. We'll see you next week on the fly.